How's everybody doing? How's your Thanksgiving? Man, I ate lots of turkey. And I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was good. It was very good. We, uh, we jetted over to Spokane and saw some family and hung out and had a good time. And it was, it was fabulous. And I'm glad you guys are here. Um, can you believe that we are just over three weeks away from Christmas? Just over, I did the math. Just over three weeks from today is, is Christmas, and I'm excited. <laughs> I love Christmas. I love, I love the decorations. I love the music. I know some of you are like, you, I've seen the memes on Facebook, you know, uh, something about blaming everybody who's decorating for Christmas early for the cold weather, so um, get over it. It's, it's good. Christmas is good. It's something we're celebrating and having fun with. Um, but I, I love Christmas. I love the decorations. I love the music. I love the memories I have of getting together with family and, and playing games and hanging out I've, and, and having just lots and lots of fun together. It's so, it's so good. It, just, it makes me honestly just feel good. I feel good when I'm with family and I'm hanging out with them. And, it, and, and that's all wonderful. I'm sure you guys have some similar experiences and thoughts about things as well. But you know, as good as all of that is, and it is good, it's good. I don't, please don't hear me say it's not. It is. It's good. Christmas is about way more than those things. Christmas is about way more than what our society has turned it into. Recently, I turned on uh, a show and, and a commercial came on, and it was all about people gifting Buicks to themselves. You've probably, you probably saw it. It's, it's uh, it, yeah, I'm worth it. I deserve it. You know, it's an entitle, entitlement thing. And I, I know my kids, they're coming up with their lists and everything. Grandpa teases them that he's, he's Santa Claus. And, um, and so Caleb actually hand-delivered his list to Santa Claus yesterday before we left Spokane. But, you know, our society has built Christmas into this, hey, I, I'm entitled. I get things. Right, and I'm not. I'm not opposed to giving gifts or getting gifts. I enjoy all of that, but Christmas is about way more than those things. I'll never forget the night. It, I believe it was June twelfth, two thousand ten. We got the call that a birth mom had picked us, my wife and I, to be the parents of her baby boy. I will never ever forget that. You know why I'll never forget that? Because up to that point, for about two years, some of you have heard this, just bear with me, but for about two years, my wife and I had been trying to have kids. We hadn't been able to. We got pregnant about, oh, a year into this process and then had a miscarriage and couldn't have a baby. We were devastated. We were upset. We were sad. We were, and then, but we kept praying. We kept asking God, please provide. We want you to give us a child. We want to be able to have a kid. And, and it was, we had dreams. We had hopes. We had fears. We had joys. We had tears. All of these things. And it all came to a head on this night of June 12th. Because when the voice on the other end said, a birth mom has picked you, it was like a dam burst. It was like a dam burst. 
all of those hopes, all of those fears, all of those joys, all of the tears, everything. It's kind of like the, what we sing in, in the, the Christmas carol, A Little Town of Bethlehem. All the hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight. That was like what it was for us. It was just, just this tension and this heartache met with joy and it just slammed together and it was messy and it was beautiful. There was snot and tears and laughter and everything else in between. When I read, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. When I read this, this passage of scripture, excuse me, when I read this, that's what I imagine. That's the kind of thing I imagine, only more so. Christmas is about hope. It's about the fulfillment of some promises. You see, Imagine being part of a people who have been anticipating rescue and restoration. They've been in a situation that they cannot get themselves out of, no matter how hard they try. They've tried. They've tried to get out of the situation, but they can't. They can't affect it, not for any length of time. And they've been in this situation not for a few days or a few weeks or even a few years. They have been in this situation for centuries, literally hundreds of years. They have been oppressed. Centuries before Mary sang this song that we're going to look at this morning, the nation of Israel had been sent off into exile. Centuries before. They, ha they were taken away from their land, their temple, this, this center of, of their experience was destroyed. It was demolished. On top of that, we actually read in, in the prophets, and it's in the book of Ezekiel. You can go to Ezekiel chapter 10 and read this. God leaves Israel. He says, I'm out of here. I'm gone. And it's devastating. And this is the state they have been living in for centuries. Now, right alongside all of the bad stuff that's going on, there were promises at the same time running parallel to the hard stuff. Promises. God's going to come back. You're going to come back. God is going to set his kingdom up. God is going to rule all of the nations. The nations are actually going to become part of the people of God. God is going to become king, not only of Israel, but of the entire world. You guys, this is the gospel. This is what they were looking forward to. This is their hope. And one of the prophets who talked about all of this was Daniel. At one point, Daniel is instructed that the time of the exile was going to be 70 sevens. That's, that's fancy uh, symbolic talk for 490 years. 490 years, the angel tells Daniel, you are going to be in exile in one form or another. From the time of that prophecy to the time Jesus came on the scene, do you know how long it was? About 490 years. And guess what? The people in Israel knew how to count. They understood, they could count, they could add, and they knew that the time is coming, the time is coming close, things are coming to a head, something's going to happen, the dam is going to burst. 
It's going to burst and it's going to flood everywhere. And so before Jesus shows up on the scene, there were a lot of messiahs running around the countryside. There were. They were trying to affect freedom for Israel. You know what happened after Jesus died and rose and then ascended? There were other messiahs that came. As a matter of fact, there was one, uh, I believe his name is Bar Kokhba. He actually printed coins with the year one on them, signifying that God's kingdom was established in that first year. You know what Rome did to him? Killed him. Rome was very efficient at putting down revolts. All right? So it's in, this, it's in this tension, it's in this hype, it's in this excitement, it's in this, this hope of what is going to happen that Jesus comes onto the scene. It's in this climate of expectation and revolu- uh, revolution that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 and says, guess what? The Messiah is coming and you're going to be his mommy. 490 years of waiting and expectation is now coming to a close. And Mary erupts. She erupts. She's gone to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth confirms what the angel has told her. And this is what Mary says. We're picking up Luke chapter 1, verse 46. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. It'll be up on the screen for you. Luke 1, 46 through 55, it says this, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. She's echoing a passage in Isaiah right there. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. She's pointing back actually to the, to the coming out of Egypt where God, it, God brings Israel out of Egypt. The way the Old Testament talks about that is that God bared his arm. He went to war and he fought for Israel and brought them out. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. We are starting our series called The Hope of Christmas because this is about hope. Christmas is about hope. Not that hope of, oh man, I hope I win the lottery. (laughs) You know, daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Not really. 
That's not the hope we're talking about. We're talking about the living hope, the reality of something coming true, of something that we are looking forward to happening. And in this hymn, in this hymn that Mary sings, that she erupts in, we encounter somebody who is less meek and mild and way more radical than we're probably comfortable thinking about. This isn't the timid Mary, you know, just accepting whatever happens. She's rolling up her sleeves and she's shaking her fist. And she's saying, God is coming to the rescue. She's putting the powers that be on notice. When she says, he's brought down the powerful, he's turned away the, the rich and the wealthy. He, you know what she, who she's talking to? Herod. She's talking directly to King Herod and she's talking to the powers behind Herod. She's talking to Rome. One small voice in this sea of uncertainty. She's up there shaking her fist and saying, God has fulfilled his promise. Why can she say that? Because she is currently at that time pregnant with the Messiah. He's fulfilling his promise. This is subversive stuff. This is so subversive that actually in, in recent history, I know of three nations that have banned this hymn from being sung. And this is what Christmas is about. <laughs> three nations. Uh, England did. Britain did. While it ruled over India, it would not allow this hymn to be sung or read. Why? Because the disenfranchised might rise up. Guatemala, in more recent history, did the same thing. Argentina did it as well. Banned this hymn for fear that the dispossessed and the downtrodden would revolt. Christmas, you guys, is about everything changing. That's what revolution is about. It's about everything becoming different. Something new is happening, something strange, something out of the ordinary. And Mary says here, God has made this happen. He's remembered his promises, those promises that he made right alongside of the exile. He's bringing them to be, to happen. They're happening right here and now, she says. In this hymn, we encounter the God who goes to battle on behalf of disenfranchised people. Bearing his arm the way he did for Israel and bringing them out of Egypt and rescuing them while at the same time being faithful, remaining faithful to his word. So what we have here is we have justice and we have mercy running on the same road, parallel. They're not opposed to each other. We want to think that justice is just about getting even on stuff. No, justice is about making everything right. Mercy is about doing for people what they can't do for themselves. And we see God doing that here. So within this hymn, we are offered hope, which is our big idea for this series. Because of the birth of Jesus, we have hope. If you're taking notes on your outline, write that down. Because of the birth of Jesus, we have hope. There's hope for, the, for people who are dispossessed. There's hope for those who are held down by the powers that be. There's hope. Because God has acted on our behalf. 
as we muddle our way through our own circumstances, our issues, our failures, and all of life, there's hope. There's hope for us because God has taken notice of our plight. God has taken notice of our plight. It's a little bit like when, when Moses went to the burning bush. And Moses is like, what's going on here? And God said, I've come down because I've heard the cry of my people. In Jesus, God has heard our cry. And he's doing something about it. So how do we live in this hope? That's great to talk about it. We have the hope. That's great. That's awesome. But then there's real life, right? We still got bills to pay. We've got relational issues that we've got to overcome and, and deal with. We've got our own personal baggage that we bring from our past, right? And, and, and we bring it into our relationships, into our work, into our church, everywhere we go. And how do we live in this hope that everything is different when all I see around me is that, man, it kind of looks the same. How do we live in this hope? For the next few weeks, we're going to look at that question. How do we live in this hope? Because that's what this season is all about. It's about living in this hope that we have. And we're going to find our answer, our answers, I should say, in Mary's song in Luke 1, 46 through 55. So we're going to continue to look at this passage through Christmas. And what we find about living in the hope of Christmas in this passage is that it revolves around things like celebrating. It revolves around things like expecting and worshiping. So for this morning, the first part of how we live in this hope, it's our main thing. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. To live in hope is to celebrate God. To live in hope is to celebrate God. God, much the way Mary celebrated God. There was nothing, like I said, there's nothing meek and mild about this. There's some excitement here. There's some rejoicing that's happening. I, my kids love everything to do with the ocean. They, they love chasing seagulls. They love hunting for sticks and shells. They like riding things on the beach. They love chasing the waves and squealing and screaming as the waves chase them back. Uh, they, they love it all. This past uh, beginning of October, my wife and I surprised our kids with a, a, a night away at the coast. We wanted to get out. We wanted to give them, in the middle of all of our transition, we wanted to give them something that they really loved. And so we walked to their bus stop that afternoon. We collected them from the bus driver walked them into the house, put their school stuff away, sat them down for a snack like we normally do. And as they're eating their snack, well, kids, we got some bad news. We're, we're going we're, we're gonna to go away. What? Yeah, we're going to go to the ocean for a night. And they erupted. They erupted. It was, it was yells. I mean, some of you have probably heard my son. My son, is, he, he knows two volumes, loud and louder. Okay, and let me tell you, this was along the lines of loudest. It was, it was just, it was pandemonium, but it was celebration, and it was awesome, and it was amazing. It was also a little frustrating because I couldn't rein them back in. We were trying to get out the door, and they're just too busy jumping around, hooping and hollering. It, it was awesome. 
You guys, from beginning to end, Mary's song is, first of all, celebration of God. She's celebrating God. She's celebrating Israel's God who made a covenant with them and promised to rescue and restore them. And she's an example to us of what it means to celebrate God. So to live in hope by celebrating God, here's the first thing. In order to do this, number one on your outline, to celebrate God, we must remember. We must remember. Remembering is good for us. How many husbands in the room? Raise your hand. Yeah. Is it good for you to remember when your wife says, hey, on your way home, pick up this or get the mail or something? What happens when you don't remember that? Dun, dun, dun. Right? Occasionally, that might happen. I, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> remembering is good for us, but remembering those kinds of things isn't all that's good for us. We can remember good things and we can remember bad things and they can both benefit us. Did you know that? Because we can grow through what we remember. We can grow if we're willing to learn, if we're willing to put in the work and to learn the lesson, we can grow through what we remember. I remember a time, um, this is when I was pastoring in Lowell, Oregon, and I set up communion for a particular Sunday morning, and we did, we did worship, we did the message, and I, I ended up going a little bit long, and then on top of that, I kind of really felt like I needed to give people time to prepare a little bit more for communion rather than just diving right into it. So I said, you know, we're going to put this off for this week, and we're going to come back and do uh, uh, communion next week. And so we did. So I, I, I left everything set up. I left everything set up. Yeah. And the next week we get through worship. We do the message, and it's good. And, and I, I feel like God's doing some things in people's lives. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I, I get to the end of the message, and we're preparing to do communion. I take the lid off of the, the bread, and, and um, I invite the ushers to come up. And, and right after I do that, I, I reach for the lid covering the juice. I pull the lid off of the juice. And as soon as I do, it was a fuzzy afro over this, and I, I stood, I remember, I'll never forget this. I, I, I held the lid up like this for about a second. I set it down. I said, we will not be taking communion today. I learned an important lesson. Even though you buy grape juice off of the shelf, you cannot store it back on the shelf after you've opened it. Okay, I have never done that since. Okay, no moldy, gross grape juice for us. Through that experience, I learned that I needed to refrigerate the juice. I could have left it in the tray, just stick it in the refrigerator, and it would have been great. But I've never done that since. I learned. Now, when I say to celebrate God, we need to remember, I'm talking about two things to remember in particular. First, we need to remember who we were who we were before God rescued us. We need to remember who we were before God rescued us, but we also need to remember what God has done for us. 
And every time I think of this, I, I got to bring this up. Every time I think of this, anybody else seen the movie Liar, Liar? Jim Carrey. There's a scene in there where he's literally, he's trying to escape an issue in the courtroom. I'm not going to get into it, but he ends up in the bathroom and he's literally beating himself up to not have to go back into the courtroom. Somebody walks in on him and he says, I'm kicking my own rear end or something along those lines. Um, um, remembering who we were is not about beating ourselves up. I've done that plenty in my life. I've made lots of mistakes. You can ask my wife. My beautiful bride can tell you all about it. <laughs> I've made lots and plenty of mistakes. I could tell you about some pretty horrific ones that I've, I've been involved in. And you know what happens to me when I, I continue to beat myself up about those things? I stay in them. I become a slave to those things. Those things begin to define who I am. I'm not talking about remembering in terms of beating ourselves up. I'm talking about remembering who we were. Remembering who we were is about looking back in appreciation of how far we've come on account of the love of God. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 say, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Paul reminds the people, is he beating them up? No, he's saying you were this. You used to be this. We need to remember who we used to be. Not to, again, not to beat ourselves up, but it gives us a greater appreciation of who we are now. It shows the glory of God and who He is and what He has done. We are not what we once were. We were once dead, but now we are alive. We couple this remembering who we were with what God has done. Verses 4 and 5 of, of Ephesians 2 are clear about this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. There is nothing in this about me earning anything. I haven't earned this. I haven't earned God's favor. He simply decided to give it to me because he loves me, because he sees what kind of a mess and a wreck I am, and because he's for me and not against me. Guess what? He's for you and not against you. We need to remember what God has done for us. We remember who we were and what God has done. And we celebrate that. This is a heart that, that is joyful. This is, uh, that becomes joyful. It's a, it's a heart that is humble because it recognizes I can't do this for myself. I can't make this happen. I can't bring this to pass. But God has. He's done it for me. 
We bring these two things together, remembering who we were from the perspective of what God has done. If you are a Christ follower, you need to do this. You need to do this. What, in what ways can you look back and see what God has done? Reflect and appreciate how far you've come because of God's action. And when you do this, two things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to become open, more open to what else God wants to do. Because it, it just gets exciting. <laughs> what? God's at work? Yeah, sign me up. I like this. I like seeing what God's doing. And, and what God has started, he wants to finish. He wants to complete it. He wants to complete you and me. So we need to celebrate this way. But when we celebrate this way, the other thing that happens is that we become more open to what God wants to do in other people as well. You ever written anybody off? Oh, I don't see any hands shooting up. I'll raise my hand. I have. <laughs> I have. Somebody offends me. Oh, man. I, I, it's easy. It, I, I'm not proud of it. I'm just saying it's, it's easy to, to focus on that offense and to think poorly of other people because of offenses that I've received. I, I'm guilty of doing that. When we celebrate God in this way, when, 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 we, when we are looking at what we were and what we are now because of God's love, we become more open and less offendable. Because what God has done in me, he can do in you. What God has done in me, he can do in my worst enemy. Because guess what? Again, I didn't earn anything God did. He just said, I want to do this. And he did it despite me in many ways. You guys, let's celebrate God this Christmas by remembering what he has done. Let's celebrate by remembering what he has done. That's number one. Number two on your outline, to celebrate God, not only do we need to remember, but to celebrate God, we need to look forward. We need to look forward. I remember I was in Bible college. It was uh, the summer after my junior year. And they really encouraged us to go do internships and stuff. And I thought, you know what? If I'm going to go, I'm going to go. So I went to Iowa, and uh, <laughs> hey, don't laugh. <laughs> Iowa's a nice place. Um, I went I went to North Central Iowa and spent my summer at a summer camp, and I was on, I was I was an intern there. And I remember one time I was given a field and a can of neon orange spray spray paint, and I was told go paint the lines for the game that we're going to play. So I did. I went out, and I, oh, nothing bad happened. You're, you, I heard somebody say, oh, no, like the can blew up or something. Like No, that, nothing bad happened. I just, there was a lesson that I learned. I started, I started spray painting the line. But you, the way I started was that I was looking directly in front of me, and I, I walked and I sprayed as I was looking directly in front of me, making sure that I got the paint on the ground. 
And after, oh, five or six minutes, exactly, after about five or six minutes, I stand up to behold my magnificent work, to look back, and I see a line doing this all the way behind me. You know, I could make it straight for about this far, doing it that way. So you know what? I, a, a thought struck me. I was like, well, if that's what happens when I'm looking directly at the ground when I do this, what happens if I focus my attention on a goal? So I did. I kept my eyes focused on the goal. I, kept, I made sure that I kept the paint on the ground. I wasn't painting myself or anybody else or anything else, just on the ground. But as I walked, I, I looked back. It's not that it didn't wiggle at all, but it was far straighter than it had been previously. When we focus on the goal, we orient ourselves toward that goal and we stay the course. We know where we're going. We know what we're doing. Mary did this in her song. She sang about how God had cast aside the powerful and rich in favor of the weak and the humble through the giving of the Messiah. And it oriented her toward God's goals and kingdom because that was ultimately what she was celebrating in the first place. We need to celebrate God by looking forward and we can do this in a couple of ways. First, we can look forward to what God will do. We look forward to what God will do. Not, not despising where we're at. I want you, listen, if you are so forward-looking that you are of no presently good, fix it. <laughs> Change it. Because God has called us, we are human beings, and we are called to live in the moment. Because that's basically what we have. We can't change the past. And the only way we affect the future is what we do right now. Okay? I'm not talking about wishful thinking forward. I'm talking about orienting our lives toward a particular thing. We look forward to what God will do. But the second thing is we, we look forward to who we are becoming. When we look forward to what God will do, and who we are becoming, we spend our time not only thinking about what will be, but how to live that reality out in the present, the here and the now. In 2015, my wife and I took our 10th wedding anniversary. It was actually, our, we were you know, at nine and a half years, but our anniversary is in the winter, and it's no fun really to go to Washington, D.C. in the winter, um, or so I'm told. I've never been there in the winter. I might, might, might be a little pretty with the snow, but... Uh, we wanted to go to Washington, D.C. So we decided to go at the end of May in 2015, and we did. We, we went over uh, Memorial Day weekend, and it was fun. Um, had a lot of good time. But do you suppose that we went, when we went, that we just decided, okay, we know we want to go at the end of May, so we're just going to go to the airport at the end of May and hope we get on an airplane. And then from there, we're going to hope that we get to Washington, D.C. And then from there, we're going to hope that we, we actually get a hotel and you know, all that kind of thing. Is, is, does anybody else plan trips that way? No. <sighs> of course not. We started planning for this reality months in advance. Because I wrote my congresswoman and asked for tickets to the White House, guess what? We, I've, I've been inside the White House. It's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. We we booked a we booked a night tour of of the of a lot of the major monuments. Beautiful. It's awesome. I I even uh, made dinner reservations in advance 
for when we were going to be there. We reserved our hotel. You guys, that's what I mean by looking forward. We don't just sit around and daydream. We do something about it. We live like it's a reality because guess what? In Jesus, it is a reality. Now, I'm not talking about claiming to get wealthy and rich and money. and I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about what God has created us to be. We begin to live like now. We practice it. We do it. We live in light of what God will do by positioning ourselves through prayer, reading the Bible, and being in community with other Christ followers. So the Spirit can continue to do what only He can do. We position ourselves. We allow Him to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. We talked all about this last month in the Be Become Do series. If you missed any of it, go listen to it on on our website. It'll be really good. When Mary exploded in the celebration of, of the song that we've read this morning, she did so through remembering and looking forward. The angel had told her what was going to happen. And then when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth and had what the angel said confirmed to her through Elizabeth, all that she was ruminating on just burst out of her like a supernova. (laughs) She went supernova. We can go supernova this Christmas, you guys. We begin by celebrating God. Clint, you want to come on up and give us some background music as we wrap up this morning? We can live out the hope we find in Christmas through celebration, rejoicing. I'm sure Mary had some tears. When she was rejoicing, remembering the hardships and and everything that they've been through, I'm not talking about a celebration void of of tears. I'm talking about a focus. Our focus fixed on the God who is making all things new. He's making you new. He's making me new. We can live out the hope of Christmas. As we remember, we remember who we were and what God has done, and as we look forward to what God will do in anticipation. And just as my wife and I experienced that collision of anticipation and fulfillment the night we received that phone call, we can have that same kind of experience this Christmas season as we celebrate the reality that God has fulfilled his promises in and through Jesus. Because that kind of hope doesn't rest on me, it doesn't rest on you. It doesn't rest on us making something happens. It rests 
on the God who has already done it. Let's celebrate this season. Let's live in the hope this season. I want to pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate because of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy. Because you are bringing justice into our lives and into the world around us. And you're inviting us to join you in that. And so God, we just want to take a minute here and we want to celebrate. We want to thank you for that. Thank you for what you are doing in our lives. Thank you for what you have done in our lives. That you haven't left us in our lowly state, but that you are bringing us into your presence more and more. You're making us more and more like you. Help us to celebrate that this Christmas. To celebrate you. Maybe you're here and you haven't begun your life as a Christ follower yet, but you like this idea of what God has done, that you don't have to earn stuff, but that, but that you get to just receive his love. I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to make it your own. If you want to join God's family, make this yours. Father, here I am. I know what I've done in my life. You know what I've done in and with my life. I receive from you your love, your grace, your mercy. Bring me into your presence and into your family, I pray. Make me part of your people. Father, for anybody who made that prayer theirs, oh God, just seal this time, seal this moment with your spirit. Fill them with your presence. Let them experience the joy of you right now and in this season, I pray. Father, let all of us live there. Living in the hope that we have in you. And in your fulfilled promises. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.